My presentation is Degree Apprenticeships, Higher Vocational, Vocational Higher Education. This work was done together with uh, Dan Bishop uh, when he was uh, working uh, at Barspar University. He's now uh, gone back to uh, Leicester. Unfortunately, he can't be with us today, otherwise engaged. Um, but he was very much the expert on one aspect of this research. So when I come to his bit, apologies if I slightly uh, stumble through it. I may not be able to answer all questions, all the detailed questions on his on the bit of the research that he that he did. But we'll come to that later on. So um, what I'm going to try and do is discuss degree apprenticeships in the context of the relationship between vocational and higher education in England. Um, I'm going to try and demonstrate the challenges of developing higher vocational education in the skill formation system that we have uh, in this country, uh, marketised and historically voluntarist as it is. And I'm going to draw in particular on this research project into the development of degree apprenticeships in construction and aerospace engineering, which uh, was funded by uh, the Gatsby Charitable Foundation um, in 2016. Most of the research was done in, in 2016, so some of it's a little bit out of date. And we had that discussion in the first presentation about pre-levy. Well, that kind of also applies to what I'm going to talk about or at least some aspects of what I'm going to talk about, because the empirical side of this was done um, pre-levy, or while the levy was about to come in. So uh, that's important, I think. And it, most of this is published uh, in a paper that we did for, for Gatsby, a report we did for Gatsby, um, and that can be found on their, on their website. Okay, so... Um, one of the things that interests me is this uh, difference in what I'm terming here the logics of the higher and the vocational in England. Um, so when I'm talking about logics, I'm drawing on aspects of sociological institutionalism, the ideas of, sort of cognitive scripts that inform what we mean by higher education or how we think about higher education institutional memories, institutional experiences, the kind of things that, if you like, shape and frame um, what is possible within these different um, system contexts and institutional contexts. So, for example, within higher education, we see um, the history of higher education in England, limited incentives for institutions to vocationalise, We've seen, if you go back into the 1970s and 60s, academic drift demonstrated by the, follow the, the former Colleges of Advanced Technology, the Polytechnics. Uh, the history of the Polytechnics really, I think, demonstrates uh, that desire to escape from state, direct state accountability. So institutional autonomy is quite powerful, I think, quite powerful as a force within higher education in England a lot of prestige associated with research, internationalisation. And of course, there's also the lack of the skill formation infrastructure, no tripartite regulation, making employer engagement resource-intensive activity for higher education institutions. I think we saw a little bit of evidence of that in the first presentation, but there is other evidence, I think, of uh, projects that have been done over the last 10 years, which also supports that, that actually building those links with employers is quite resource-intensive in England. 
And also, I think it's important to draw attention to what we mean by education in higher education. So I'm drawing a little bit on the work of uh, Biester here, Gert Biester, and saying that some of these subjectification and socialisation objectives are still quite important within higher education, alongside, of course, the qualification objectives. So it's not only about employability and preparing people for work. There are also other very powerful ways of constructing higher education which remain important within our higher education system and impact uh, decisions that are made about institutional strategies in higher education. On the other hand, when we look at the vocational side, the logic is very, very different, I would argue. Constant policy change directly affecting vocational qualification offer and programme delivery, lack of uh, prestige of vocational education in England is well documented, still a comparatively weak apprenticeship system of very variable quality, um, and drawing, of course, on some of the comparative work that's been done looking at apprenticeships in England across other European countries. Competence-based approaches prevail still, and those qualification objectives here are really quite central within the vocational, vocational logic. And some of the socialisation and subjectification, so individual development, individual enhan enhancement of knowledge and understanding, tend to be more marginal. So in order to understand this vocational logic in England, I think we need to focus on the interdependencies between the national VET system and the organisation of work in the economy, drawing on the work of Ashton and others there. The English market model, state action, is only really legitimate on the demand side, and we again, this is echoing some of the messages coming through from the first presentation. And education retains a high degree of autonomy in relation to employer demand, but the organisation of work is also subject to high levels of individual, and individual is important work, words here, individual employer control. So employers are very much encouraged to set their terms of reference for their own workforce. Okay? That, that notion of kind of collective responsibility for work organisation is quite weak within uh, the English system. This market model, which prevails within England, relies on an absence of coordination. Okay? It relies on that. We don't want too much coordination, or we actually can be seen to suppress um, some of the supposed innovation that's going on within the economy. The vocational education system is compelled to constantly play catch-up in this outcome-based system with limited purchase on the educational character of vocational education. Okay, so these are observations, really, about what's happening in the vocational side of education in England and its relationship to the world of work. A lot of autonomy, both for our education, from voca vocational, but also from individual employees, from the vocational system itself. So, um, if we come to degree apprenticeships, they involve some stakeholders, higher education institutions and employers, who have become accustomed to a considerable degree of autonomy and licence in terms of of education and training of students and employees. We're all quite used to doing things our own way, okay? And higher education is not used to being the policy supplicant in the way that further education colleges and work-based learning providers are familiar with. We're not necessarily used to, if you work within a higher education institution, to doing what the government says. We're used to trying to work our own, our own way around that and try and strategize and make the best of the situation as best we can and to try and influence the policy as best we can. 
So the alignment of objectives between all these different stakeholders is, in my view, quite a contingent, um, a sort of a, a contingent exercise, a happenstance, really. They may occur between institutions and employers groups, but they may be quite fragile and underpinned really by self-interest. When those different threads happen to come together, then it works for that particular employer and that particular higher education institution. And this contra contrasts, I think, enormously with what's happening in many continental European countries. Not to say that these models are in any way perfect, not putting them on a pedestal, but they are really quite different than that notion of coordination within the uh, vocational uh, system or the higher vocational system. So if we have a look back at some of the previous initiatives that have taken place over the last 10 years that have at least some similarity with degree apprenticeships. So I'm thinking here at Hefke Workforce Development Programme, Higher Apprenticeship Fund projects. In these situations, the, these initiatives have remained really quite peripheral, peripheral aspects of the business of higher education. Okay? They, they're quite marginal within higher education institutions. They take place. Higher education, some higher education institutions buy into them and get involved in them, but not all, and not really in a big way. And sometimes they drift away and just peter out when the streams of funding are no longer there. Progress has been dependent primarily on the contingencies of employer demand, funding and institutional interest. Systemic differences between VET and HE remain. And of course, we shouldn't forget that these have consequences for learners, making it difficult to navigate your way through the system between uh, vocational side and into the higher side. Okay, so... Um, the projects that we were involved in. We tried to explore whether degree apprenticeships in England should be seen as higher vocational or vocational higher forms of education. And I've developed this from the work of Ewart Keep. In fact, one of his uh, online lectures, I think, which I happened to be wa watching one uh, Sunday evening. Not quite sure how I managed to end up doing that, but, but he I was listening along. I thought, this is, this is quite interesting, uh, you know, the, the usual usual stuff from, from Professor Keeve. He's got many interesting things to say. And he came up with this absolute gem around um, the relationship between uh, the vocational and the higher. This notion of higher vocational and vocational higher. So it's not my idea. It's not Dan's idea. We've developed it very much from his, his presentation. So what we mean by this, and this is taking it on maybe a little bit further from what was in uh, Keeve's presentation, the higher vocational, as a higher tier within an extended TVET system, and the governance, partnership, working and programme objectives align with the wider, objective, wider objectives of VET technical education policy. And our suggestion is that this will demonstrate more of a vocational logic in the provision. Whereas a vocational higher, higher form of provision, is, here the, the provision is much more aligned with the wider objectives of higher education and the relevant systemic factors that such provision is subject to, i.e. in terms of quality assurance, entry and progression. It's all a bit of a mouthful and I, it confuses me endlessly, I have to say, still this stuff. But this is what I tried to put it into a diagram. So what I mean by higher vocational is you've got a vocational system with kind of degree apprenticeships sort of sitting at the top and they're primarily seen as part of that system. Whereas if you have a vocational higher approach, then degree apprenticeships are primarily seen as part of the higher education system, but one strand 
within that system, okay? Along with lots of other things that may be happening, you know, traditional undergraduate <coughs> provision, full-time masters or whatever, okay? And they are quite different. Of course, the reality is that this is only a, a heuristic, it's only a model, and that degree apprenticeships are probably going to be somewhere in between the two, but at least it helps us maybe to think a little bit about uh, the factors at play. So what might, what might we be looking for in terms of vocational logic characteristics? The rationale of degree apprenticeships meeting sector and organisation objectives, concerted efforts to open the door to higher education for level three apprentices, or to reorientate higher education in a more vocational direction. We might see prominent organisations, institutions such as employers, representative bodies uh, of uh, sectors, for example, further education colleges, professional organisations and other training providers taking the lead rather than universities. And we might see a programme structure, strong elements of which would involve employer design and quality assurance not controlled solely by higher education. If we saw a greater degree of the vocational hire, so the higher logic, then we would see uh, more traditional higher education requirements being sustained within recruitment to degree apprenticeships. For example, demanding that people have A-levels or other forms of academic uh, qualifications at level three. Prominent organisations and <coughs> institutions would be more higher education institutions, sometimes with FE playing a role, some employers, professional bodies, etc., etc. And programme structure with more university control of design, uh, sorry, I should say higher education institution uh, control of design, with employer input more specific and more traditional HE characteristics delivery, with quality assurance perhaps controlled by QAA. And a concern also with the higherness of the education involved. What is it offering the students in terms of a higher education? And we might, you know, get into discussions there about graduate attributes or the student experience. You know, are these students actually spending time with other students on higher education courses or not. Is that important? Do we consider that to be important? Well, if there's a higher logic, I would suggest that that will come more to the fore. So what we did in terms of empirical research is we focused on two sectors that we um, negotiated with Gatsby, aerospace and construction. Twelve interviews were carried out in total, with six in each of the sectors chosen. In aerospace, we spoke to three employers... Uh, two HEIs and one further education college and in construction two employers, two HEIs, the Chartered Institute of Building and the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about the breakdown in terms of uh, labour here, uh, I did the construction stuff and Dan did aerospace. Uh, so don't ask me any difficult questions about aircraft design or anything <laughs> like that because I know very little about that. It was carried out in summer 2016 in the context of the upcoming rollout of the levy and around the time of that event that I'm sure you'll all remember, uh, it's indelibly uh, marked on your, on your minds, the Brexit referendum. Well, for some of maybe not for all of you, but certainly for me. Anyway, um, the background to degree apprenticeships. You know, I think, most of this already. Um, I'm a, I don't think much of this has changed since... 2016. I suppose one of the things that may have slightly changed is the cost sharing. I don't think it's changed radically, but 
Government and employers sharing costs with approximately two-thirds of the cost of degree apprenticeships contributed by the government, up to a capped amount, and the remaining third by the employer. Um, of course, the development of standards is important to this, the apprenticeship standards, okay, and the rollout of that was very much in train at this point in time. We were doing the, the research, co-designed co by employers and HEIs and further education colleges was the name of the game in putting together uh, the standards and also uh, the delivery itself, the, or the design of the delivery. Um, and of course, one of the key things to always remember for those who maybe are not familiar with um, apprenticeships is that an apprentice is supposed to be somebody who is in full-time employment, uh, or at least employment uh, up to a certain, a certain amount of hours uh, in, the, in the week. Okay, so the aerospace and construction degree apprenticeships. Aerospace uh, two degree apprenticeship standards, the aerospace engineer and aerospace software engineer. Um, and these are employer, HE, institution, FE, colleges, college partnerships, typically. Length from three to five years, depending on the employer. Most of the first year at college or university, and from year two, time gradually rebalanced towards workplace activities. FE providers often extend involvement to delivery and assessment of workplace-based competency and in construction five related standards uh, were developed at the time we looked at construction site management and construction quantity surveying we weren't really able to cover all of the five in the uh, the time we had available and the standards were developed through a consortium that includes over 50 uh, partners so a lot of people involved in that uh, a lot of employers were in that uh, uh, consortium, a few um, educational institutions as well, and of course uh, professional bodies too. And in construction's uh, case, closely linked with the achievement of professional body membership. Entry to the level six program can be via a level four construction technical technician apprenticeship, including an HNC, three years to level four, and then a three further years after that to level six, or via equivalent of qualification and experience. So you could see certainly with the construction approach that some uh, design development there uh, opening up that could allow people within the existing workforce to move through into a degree apprenticeship via that um, HNC and level four route. Okay so on to the findings. So this is what we found across aerospace and construction. Um, although there were varying degrees of emphasis uh, across the two sectors. So across both sectors, we found it was primarily larger employers who were dominant in the design of the apprenticeship standards and plans for delivery in partnership with providers of higher education. That seemed to be clear from our interviews that it tended to be the big organisations who were most dominant. This may be the most pragmatic approach to apprenticeship design and delivery, as these are the employers most likely to have the time and resources to contribute. They're the people who tend to have uh, the training departments, the people dedicated to um, uh, HR development, professional development activities, whereas some of the smaller employers do not have so many people able to specialise in that, in that function. And of course it neglects the requirements of small and medium-sized employers, some of which, some of whom may wish to take on degree apprenticeships and some of their objectives may be slightly different from some of the larger employers. 
And of course, with the introduction of a levy, many small and medium-sized employers may fall below the payment threshold for levy and therefore may benefit disproportionately from the development of a degree apprenticeships in the future. That's some of the argument that's been, uh, that's been made. Even though small and medium-sized employers may not get involved actively at the outset, they may benefit from the process um, later on various, in various ways. We had quite a lot of um, uh, feedback from the employers uh, and to some extent from the professional bodies as well around the approach government was taking towards the development of apprenticeship standards. Okay, Concern about the nature of these apprenticeship standards and how they were being used amongst employers in both sectors. This related really to this idea that the standards needed to be specified quite closely to an occupational role. Okay, the idea that we can actually define what an occupational role is and put it out within a standard in a very clear way. Um, so this is something that I think had been stimulated by the Richard Review and this, um, this need to move towards a notion of an occupation. Well, this, how this had been interpreted by government seemed to be slightly problematic for many of our employers. And uh, they noted, for example that a considerable amount of core content is relevant to similar occupational roles. So actually you're finding that some of the standards might actually look quite similar. So this kind of proliferation of apprenticeship standards may be a little bit unnecessary for the purposes of designing a particular kind of degree apprenticeship. So some of the apprenticeships could be developed, for example in construction, to share a pathway before specialising later on. However, despite some of the protestations of employers involved, uh, the more flexible approach to standard development did not seem to be on the agenda at the time um, uh, with the government. And related to that, I think what also came through is this issue around professional accreditation. So employers, higher education providers and professional bodies all noted, to some extent, the government did not favour identifying a professional body on the apprenticeship standards. And this may be uh, something about possibly being resistant to any suggestion that there may be any monopolisation by a particular professional body of a uh, particular pathway to an occupational, uh, to a co occupational accreditation or competence. In reality, of course, we know that in certain sectors of the economy, certain professional bodies are very dominant and pretty much the only route to... Uh, full professional competence. So uh, one of the things, one of the areas we were looking at in construction, um, you know, the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors is really very, very dominant in certain areas of uh, quantity surveying, for example, or other uh, building surveying. Um, the kind of sort of Rolls-Royce qualification, really. So to try and remove the professional bodies in some way from um, being dominant within the development of degree apprenticeships seem to be, to some of our interviewees, a little bit counterproductive. Um, but it may have been more a, a case of just trying to negotiate through the standards process. And of course there may be contrast with some of the other sectors, and we didn't look at um, IT or media and some of those other sectors, but it may be that there, uh, this kind of issue is much less problematic. And, uh, other people may have researched those areas, so... Um, that's something for further discussion. In terms of the roles of HEIs and further education colleges, degree apprenticeships 
um, could be providing a partial solution to the reduction in employer-sponsored part-time student numbers. That was something that came through from a lot of our institutional interviewees. Coming about largely as a consequence of the increase in undergraduate tuition fees. Now, no, at this stage, the stage we're doing our research was really a kind of sort of uh, design phase. You know, people were starting to think about recruitment. They hadn't actually fully recruited their first cohorts yet in construction. I'm not quite sure about aerospace, but quite sure what the situation was there because I didn't do that part of the research. But so it, it, we're not quite sure really to what extent this was a big factor at, at, this, at this stage, but it was being mentioned as um, a, a, a possible compensatory um, flow of students for that cutoff in the employer-sponsored route. However, it's important to note that apprenticeship is distinctly different from employer sponsorship. And I mentioned that issue of being an employee earlier on. Now, of course, there are different types of employer-sponsored degrees, various different models. But being a student, and only a student, even if you're sponsored by your employer, is, to my mind anyway, and I think for various different reasons, rather different to being uh, an employee and finding yourself on a route into um, hopefully a career within that organisation or within the sector. Certain parts of further and higher education sector are well equipped to provide curriculum design and delivery expertise for degree apprenticeships, even though the balance is tipping towards greater employer control. And we saw some evidence of that uh, in our interviews and in the details of the, uh, the plans that were starting to be put together that people told us about. So a little bit of negotiation there and struggle over specification of content and delivery. And uh, skills demands and recruitment in sectors which require sustained periods of skill formation, for example, construction and aerospace. Degree of apprenticeships are providing possibly a partial solution to some of those skills shortages and an opportunity to diversify the intake of apprentices and graduates. Okay, so that was something that was emphasised uh, by our interviewees. Remember, of course, that in, certainly in construction and uh, to some extent in aerospace, they were still not fully uh, clear about who was being recruited to their apprenticeships as yet. So this was very much uh, a kind of rhetorical thing more than anything else. However, they did state that a substantial volume of degree apprentices, apprentices probably would come from 18-year-old school leavers with A-levels. Okay, so this certainly suggested to me that we had quite a lot of a traditional higher education um, thinking going on here. Are they, are they looking at uh, trying to recruit people who would be in some ways a replacement for their traditional uh, graduate recruitment cohorts? You know, this is a different way of going about graduate recruitment. You're still getting people of that kind of caliber coming in in terms of their academic background, but you're just recruiting them via a way which is going to... Um, uh, get them into the culture of the organisation quicker. In construction, degree apprenticeships could offer a vehicle for workforce development, as many existing employees may be able to take advantage of the two-stage structure of the construction degree apprenticeships, which I um, explained earlier on. And some, we're up for time. Some also may come through the level two and level three trade apprenticeships, although this was not thought to be a major source of recruitment at this time perhaps because of the entry requirements for the high-level academic qualifications. So there was certainly a process of negotiation going on between <coughs> employers and 
higher education institutions around entry requirements and we picked up from employers a preference for in some um, I think this was definitely true of aerospace in particular for school leavers with the right kinds of A-levels okay so what does this tell us about our vocational and higher logic question uh, well I think there is some evidence of some of that vocational logic in the thinking of people in government certainly in terms of the way the stat they went about thinking around about the standards and some of that commitment to trying to put employers in control and the employers many employers were heavily involved in this uh, in this process but not often it seemed in some of the detailed decisions about curriculum design um, even though higher education was not dominant overall there appeared to be a recognition out there that uh, higher education institutions or pe certain people within certain higher education institutions were the right people to go to for the details of putting the curriculum uh, together and designing it which of course in itself is a very important capability there was some pressure towards closed cohorts from specific employers for classroom elements um, but this was not a major factor and a lot of employers were and professional bodies were saying as we well, look in reality uh, most construction employers for example are very are pretty relaxed about this you know they'd be quite happy for people to mix from the different companies for quite a lot of their degree apprenticeship and they recognize you know the learning the learning benefits from that so they're fairly marginal pressure uh, towards actually closing cohorts and having everybody from the same company all uh, studying together in the same place but nobody from outside you know don't share any of those company secrets etc etc okay so uh, that's one of the things which I think is uh, important to note about that vocational logic the control of the apprenticeship experience from the employers perspective did not seem to be uh, too strong from from our from our feedback at that stage and certainly there was evidence uh, of some higher logic in terms of our thinking about degree apprenticeships or considerations around degree apprenticeships. Tension between highly specified standards and actual occupational practices, the recruitment of A-level qualified school leavers, concerns about apprentices missing out on the wider HE, HE experience. So some of our interviewees from HE institutions were saying, look, you know, we, we people have been working in vocationally orientated higher education um, for a long periods of time, 20 years, 30 years, and we're concerned really about what these degree apprentices are actually going to get out of HE. There are some things that they're going to be missing, which your average uh, run-of-the-mill full-time undergraduate uh, or undergraduate who's got a sandwich degree or whatever it is, is getting. Yeah? So are, these actually quite are they quite isolated, these degree apprentices, in many ways? Are they missing out on some of that wider university? higher education experience and what is the value of that so um, in terms of the organizations and institutions I think we've picked up an acknowledgement of the value of working with higher education in the design and quality assurance side some of those existing relationships with between employers and institutions were being built on and uh, also involving professional bodies as well and of course that exclusion of the SMEs as well or only partial inclusion of the SMEs for uh, various reasons. So the program structure, some people in higher education um, and uh, to some extent further education as well, seeing this as a replacement for employer-sponsored degrees, just differently delivered, common pathways and core technical knowledge seen as important by employers and institutions 
but not necessarily by government. So we picked up again and again this issue with uh, the standards um, and you know the, the most efficient way of going about actually putting together a degree apprenticeship program that's going to work for a range of different people who are going to be doing cognate activities within organisations in the future. Actually, there may be a body of of kind of core technical knowledge which may cut across a lot of these roles. So let's try and think imaginatively and sensibly about how to design that as a degree apprenticeship without necessarily trying to fix everything to um, a, key, a, a piece of paper or a, a standard as such. I know the standards were intended to be uh, as much as possible as, as simple and as clear as possible, but of course in linking them to a specific idea of an occupation uh, that may have been problematic. Just one more minute. Okay, so yeah, so that mentioning about content rather than uh, specifically around the occupational occupational role in terms of the degree apprenticeship, and of course uh, development since the project, um, I haven't personally been directly involved in degree <coughs> apprenticeships in enormous detail over the last year or two myself. So apologies if some of this is a little bit out of date, but certainly picked up that. Uh, Universities UK have seen degree apprenticeships as an opportunity for HE institutions which suggests some of that higher logic and also the quality assurance agency role in assuring quality of degree apprenticeships and of course uh, we know from previous research into other similar kinds of initiatives in the past that the HE sector is strategically capable of taking these kind of initiatives and making them work to their advantage. Higher education institutions are really still quite uh, powerful institutions. I know there's a lot of other policy going on within HE as well at the moment with TEF and KEF and all of that kind of stuff and REF coming up. But nevertheless, they remain really quite uh, strategically capable organisations and I think they're capable of taking this kind of thing on and making it work for them when it suits them. Um, but we, we will see. And of course, the introduction of the levy and we picked up this in the earlier presentation we're still really going to see how that's going to play out. Uh, and there may be a potential for sustained demand coming through over longer periods of time, which may make some of that con those contingency issues and the amount of resource you need to invest in those employer institutional relationships become less of an issue over time. Um, and that may help, help the approach. And... Yeah, I mean, obviously there have been other reports going on as well about uh, how we go about uh, tertiary education in the future. Some of them have been very, very critical, actually, of the potential for higher degree apprenticeships. And um, whatever the structure, whatever we're talking about in terms of the structure, I think one of the big, big things that we've still got to crack is this issue of the high technical curriculum and how we best go about... Um, organising the curriculum and delivering the curriculum for people who are going into these kind of occupational uh, roles in the future or interested in these occupational roles. But I won't go more into that now because that's memory got time. Uh, and that's it. Thank you very much.